Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and I'm once again joined by PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the great Nathan Yonke. Nate, last week of the fantasy regular season here for most leagues, been a stressful week for many, but how are you doing this morning? I am doing well. Luckily, so far, so good in my leagues. I had two spots where I was just a number one seed going into the week and should be fine there. Scott Fishbowl looks like I will advance, even though the early slate of games didn't go well and I keep having my players get injured, but I'm in the top 150 spots, I think, right now in the top 500 make it, so I just need to survive Monday night footballs. I don't know why there are two games tonight, but there are. But have Jaden Reed there. And then another league where I was at the borderline of the playoffs, didn't look like I was going to get in since the current number six seed faced two straight teams that didn't set their lineup, but they are going to lose to a team that didn't set their lineup. So I just need the Packers defense to do better than the Titans defense, which I feel pretty confident on considering the Packers are playing the Giants and the Titans are playing the Dolphins. Feel pretty good about that one as well. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun week. A lot of leagues, uh, deeper leagues that I'm in, also in the playoffs, have already started, um, and those have been going pretty well so far. I've been I've been happy. Obviously, the injuries um, continue to pile up here. Yeah. Uh, Josh Jacobs being one of them, but um, I'm sure we could talk about that in the the waiver wire show. Um, I'm dealing with a, a bit of a dry throat and cough here, so I'll try not to talk too much and and let you do the, the most of the talking today. Um, but uh, yeah, we're 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 gonna get into it here. Um, <laughs> not going again, not going game by game necessarily. We're just gonna do the top takeaways from this past weekend's game. Um, Nate does have all the takeaways from every single game up on pff.com. If there is something uh, that uh, we don't cover today that you you wanted to hear about or read about, um, you could find that over on pff.com for free. So. We'll get into it here, and before we do, just a quick uh, shout out to our presenting sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. Um, As a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash fantasy. That's meetfabric.com slash fantasy, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash fantasy. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Nate, let's kick things off with our running back takeaways for the week and begin with the LA Chargers. Um... There was some talk leading into this week about a, a shakeup in the backfield utilization. Eckler 
has not been nearly as efficient as he's been in years past, but did find the end zone this week late in the game. So there was, was there any significant changes in how the Chargers deployed their running backs this week? Uh, there were some significant changes. It was more early in the game, and it was more how the backups were used. Um, so we started the game with Eckler and Joshua Kelly, both seeing snaps on the first drive. Um, the Chargers, uh, that game, there were a lot of drives early in the game. They ended up with four drives over the course of the first quarter. But we had seen something even before the game, a change, and that Isaiah Spiller was active. Uh, he had been a healthy inactive for the previous five weeks. So uh, Los Angeles was just fine having two active running backs most games. But this week, they decided to have a third. And... After those first three drives, they were pretty much ready to be done seeing Joshua Kelly for the day. Isaiah Spiller uh, was the backup on the fourth drive. Eckler was playing fine in the first quarter, but then he kind of went back to his usual role in the second and third quarter, played 23 of 34 snaps in those two quarters. But it was really Spiller who was the backup over that time, um, played nine snaps in those two quarters where Kelly was only on the field twice. So it seemed like Kelly... or. Kelly kind of got demoted and Spiller got promoted. And then in the fourth quarter, uh, Los Angeles was passing a lot and Eckler was in all 18 plays of the quarter. So really, if anything, we saw more playing time out of Eckler when we expected to potentially see a little less. But I think we could continue to see Spiller throughout these next couple games as well. The Chargers pretty well out of the playoff picture at this point. So um, we're at a point where teams will start looking ahead to what they might start doing next year. And they Eckler might not be on the roster next year, considering how much he wanted in his contract before the season, where he's at at his, his point in his career. And I think in general, free agency, we're going to see a really interesting situation with the running backs because there was so much talk at the beginning of the year of running backs wanting big long-term contracts and a lot of those running backs who wanted contracts really haven't played as well as they had in the past that includes Eckler that includes Josh Jacobs hasn't played as well as he did last year uh Saquon Barkley's been okay throughout the year but the Giants haven't been doing that great and Tony Pollard even last night was starting to lose a little bit of playing time on rundowns so um, I think we'll see a lot of free agent running backs and it'll be really interesting to see um, which players stay with their teams and which players buy new teams but the Chargers could be one of those teams at the end of the season looking for a running back. So going back to this year, I think you're fine leaving Eckler in your lineup for at least next week, but it'll be interesting to see if this Chargers running back backfield continues to evolve. Yeah, we kind of talked about this in the in the preview show as well. Just look, not feeling like as confident about Austin Eckler recently as, as we have obviously in years past with the career lows in, in terms of basically all of his key rushing metrics and, and even as a receiver didn't get the touchdown until late and now Justin Herbert could miss time as well so there's going to be more questions about how well that offense keeps going so I'm a little bit concerned here for Austin Eckler um, kind of going forward. But yeah, like you said, he's still probably safe for this year, but especially going into next year, not sure uh, kind of what the future holds for him, but we'll see. Um, we'll deal with that in the off season. Um, all right, let's move to Chicago where we saw the return of Deontay Foreman to the bears backfield. Um, the bears were on a bye last week, but the, the last game they played prior to the bye in week 12 Foreman missed with an ankle injury. And we saw Roshan Johnson kind of dominate the snap share there, uh, three to one over Khalil Herbert. So with all three running backs healthy this week, what did the running back usage look like in uh, Chicago? 
Uh, we pretty much went back to Deontay Foreman kind of taking over that early down role, played the vast majority of early down snaps, took the goal line snap. So this was very similar to what he was playing in the middle parts of the season when Khalil Herbert was out for a while. Um, the big difference there is it was Herbert taking the majority of the backup snaps on early downs rather than Roshan Johnson. Johnson was back to being just a third down back, two-minute drill back like he's been for most of the season, just not seeing many snaps on early downs. So despite Johnson taking 15 uh, touches in his last game, uh, didn't have his first touch in this game until pretty late. So if you were hoping for anything from uh, Roshan Johnson this year, it's probably fine to drop him at this point. Cleo Herbert also I'd be fine dropping him because it seems like this is pretty clearly Foreman's backfield, at least in terms of rushing downs. And considering how little Chicago throws to their running backs, um, having their receiving running back isn't as helpful as other teams receiving backs. So Foreman uh, was dropped in several leagues. I'd definitely look to see if he was dropped. I was surprised to see how many leagues he was still available in. So I think Foreman, someone who will be the start of the rest of the way. I know that Chicago's schedule isn't the best for running backs over these next three weeks, but I think it's still a situation where we can pretty well trust Foreman to see double-digit carries each week, regardless of the game scripts, and Chicago uh, wants to establish the run and run the ball a decent amount. Nice. Yeah, it was at least good to see, like you said, at least one clear option there this week, and and we because we, there was at least concern that we'd see kind of a three-headed backfield here, and and all these guys get involved. But at least we could get some fantasy usage out of one of these guys going forward, hopefully. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, a fellow Canadian making the list this week, uh, running back Chase Brown of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, we talked about him last week on the Waiver Wire podcast, and he's been a bit more involved in recent weeks, um, even ripped off a 54-yard screen pass for a touchdown this week. So, Nate, how involved was Chase Brown for the Bengals in uh, Week 14? Uh, he was a little bit more involved this week than last week, slightly less in the run game. But like you said, in the receiving game, he had that touchdown. He had another play for over 25 yards in the passing game um, that Joe Mixon hasn't broken too many plays for 25 yards this season. So Brown has already shown to be a little bit more explosive than Mixon. Um, and the big thing in terms of his usage this week is he pretty much took over as a primary third down back for Cincinnati that had been a role that Travion Williams has maintained for basically the entire season. But Brown has overtaken Williams on third downs. Um, the Bengals uh, have a personnel grouping where they have three wide receivers and two tight ends at times on third downs with Drew Sample as the second tight end in for uh, blocking purposes. So that means the Bengals running backs don't play as much on third downs as most teams, but it was still a change that Brown started to see more playing time because of that is now the clear number two running back in general and um, still ran the ball and ran the ball. Well, uh, the Bengals do have some pretty competitive games coming up against the Vikings, the Steelers and the chiefs, but this is another situation where Mixon took a pay cut to stay in Cincinnati this year. They have a number of big name players that are up for big contracts. So Cincinnati needs as much cap space as they can get. So I think they will continue to use Brown to see if he can potentially be the starting running back next year. And I think it's still worth keeping an eye on. I think I'd be a little more hesitant to start Mixon because even though Mixon's been the clear top running back these past two weeks, 
this could still change, especially if Cincinnati loses a game or two and falls out of playoff contention with half of the AFC roughly at seven and six. So a competitive game against the Vikings, a competitive game against the Steelers, those games aren't going well. I'm not sure I could start mixing in the fantasy championship week against the Kansas City Chiefs where they'll be playing from behind. And if Chase Brown becomes their receiving back after earning the third down role and after having those two huge catches in this game, we could see a lot of Chase Brown, particularly in that fantasy championship week. Nice. That's a great call. Um, Okay. Turning to the Seattle running back situation now, uh, Zach Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker, both guys were dealing with injuries heading into this week. It was looking possible that both could have missed this game, um, but they were able to get in some limited practice reps this week and, and, and both suit up for this one. So Charbonnet leads the team in rushing with nine carries for 44 yards. Uh, Kenneth Walker goes eight for 21, but adds four catches for 33. So what did the, the playing time look like for these uh, Seattle running backs? Yeah, it was a situation where they both started the week not practicing, but then by the end of the week, they were full participants. So uh, generally progressed well throughout the week. In terms of how their snaps were distributed, this was very similar to what we were seeing before Kenneth Walker's injury. Walker was taking a clear majority of snaps on early downs. Charbonnet was taking a clear majority of snaps on third downs. We had those two or three straight games where Charbonnet was leading the team in snaps, but that was just because of the situation Seattle was in. They were in a lot of passing situations, lots of third downs, lots of two-minute drill snaps. And then this week, it was kind of the opposite in terms of how the... Uh, situations were distributed. They had a lot of early down snaps, uh, a decent amount of third down snaps, but no two minute drill situations. So we saw Walker, who was ahead in playing time this week. So I think this is kind of what we can expect in general. But the interesting thing, like you were saying at the start, was the carries. It was Charbonnet getting uh, just as much work as Walker in the run game, which is not something that we're used to. We're used to Walker getting roughly twice as many carries, if not more than Charbonnet, and that's happened in almost every game this season where the two of them were healthy. And the Seahawks, um, they play the Eagles next week, even though the Eagles have been on a rough spot recently. It's still a game where the Eagles will probably be projected to win and Seattle will be playing from behind a bit. So that could be a game where we see more Charbonnet than Walker just from how snaps are distributed. They could be in more passing situations. And given the uh, distribution of carries in this game, we could see Charbonnet have more fantasy production specifically in that kind of game script. But I will be interested later in the season to see if Seattle does have a game where they are able to get a lead and maintain a lead and how uh, carries and snaps are distributed in that kind of situation. Nice. Okay. Um, one more running back situation to look at this week. The Kansas City Chiefs were without Isaiah Pacheco in week 14. Um, Pacheco, who has really been dominating the backfield for Kansas City in recent weeks. This one was a blow for fantasy managers, obviously, but we did see Jarek McKinnon run in for a touchdown and uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire got involved. So if Pacheco misses any more time, is there any stable fantasy usage to trust for either of the Chiefs running backs, Nate? I think so. I think the backfield was pretty predictable in how the usage turned out. Edwards-Alaire pretty much took over Isaiah Pacheco's role when both Pacheco and McKinnon were healthy and that Edwards-Alaire took the clear majority of early down snaps. Uh, McKinnon, of course, remained the passing down back. 
and McKinnon was the goal line back for the one snap that they had a goal line play. And the only reason that it looks so similar in terms of snaps is because Kansas City was playing from behind. They took a ton of snaps in two-minute drill situations. Um, over half of McKinnon's snaps came from those kind of plays. So going forward, I would not expect the snap share to be so close to each other. I would expect Edwards Alaire to be a clear leader in terms of offensive snaps in games where Kansas City is winning or at least playing with a slight lead or if they have a big lead, it'll be pretty big for Edwards Alaire. But in terms of rushing attempts, Edwards Alaire was a clear leader. Even in terms of receiving production, Edwards Alaire was doing pretty well. Uh, the only reason that McKinnon ended up with more fantasy points is because he scored that touchdown, which was a third down snap in the two-minute drill. So definitely a McKinnon situation, and they were seven yards away. So he just happened to break a play for seven yards in a situation that was clearly McKinnon's. But I would not be surprised if another, if it was second and goal on the seven-yard line, and it was not the two-minute drill. Edwards Alaire would probably be in those kind of situations going forward. So I know I've seen a lot of people think McKinnon's the waiver wire target here because he's the one who scored more fantasy points, but I would lean more towards Edwards Alaire, especially with Kansas City's upcoming schedule. It's not going to be quite as difficult as it has been recently. So would expect to see more games where Edwards Alaire is getting a lot of the carries. And yeah, McKinnon might be more likely to score a touchdown, but there's a chance that neither of them score a touchdown in which Edwards Alaire would be scoring a lot more fantasy points. And McKinnon, I would view him similarly to how I was viewing him earlier in the season when he was healthy and that he's not going to be consistent. He's reliant on scoring a touchdown like he was in this game. Nice. That makes perfect sense. Um, all right, let's keep it rolling here. And we'll just take a quick uh, shout out to our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a skill-based Real money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they will go more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. So, Nate, uh, the unders have been working for me. We, we hit uh, the Jackson Smith and Jigba under uh, last week. I think it was the Travis Etienne rushing under the week before. You got the Deontay Johnson over on the 39 and a half receiving yards as well. I'm going to stick with the unders this week, <clears throat> and I'm going to go with Tuatunga Vailoa under. 32 and a half passing attempts uh, tonight. So this one, for me, the Titans, they're not a good defense at this point. They're 27th in, in overall team defensive grade, 29th in team coverage grade. Um, Miami, one of those quick strike chunk play offenses they're entering this week. Um, they were first in in yards per play uh, at 6.7. The Titans are allowing 5.3 yards per play, which is 20th. Um, I just don't think there's going to be a need for a ton of passing here for, for the Miami offense. And, and I think they'll be able to pick up a lot of that, um, a lot of their yards in those chunk plays again. So a 32 and a half uh, doesn't seem necessary um, for Tua Tungvaloa hit to hit as far as dropbacks or attempts go. So I'm going to go with under the, the passing attempts for Tua this week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
All right, and mine uh, goes pretty well with yours, thinking similar game script where Miami is going to be up a lot and just going to be able to run the ball a ton. That means Tennessee will be down and needing to pass a lot. So I have Chigazim Akonkwo, uh, more than 33.5 receiving yards. And this is similar to what we were talking about last week when we were talking about Akonkwo and that um, he had been splitting time these past couple weeks with Josh Wiley. Wiley, a receiving tight end coming out of college who just started seeing more playing time these past few weeks and really splitting the passing down work with Okonkwo. But Wiley is going to be inactive for this game. He has been ruled out due to an injury. So that leaves Okonkwo as the clear receiving tight end for Tennessee. I think he'll see more uh, pass routes than he's seen in recent weeks and because of the game script that could be a lot more pass routes than he's seen in recent weeks and he's also been putting up his best receiving work these past few games so i think the combination of him playing pretty well recently mixed with the increased playing time could be a big game for him and throwing the fact that miami they've been pretty average against tight end so far this fantasy season not Great, but not terrible either. So I think the matchup doesn't matter too much outside of the fact that I expect Miami to have the huge lead. So Tennessee will need to throw the ball a lot. So I have a Kunkwo more than 33.5 receiving yards. Love it. So there we go. Chig over 33 and a half receiving yards to under 32 and a half pass attempts. Um, at prize picks, you aren't competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Go to prizepicks.com slash PFF fantasy. Use code PFF fantasy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash PFF fantasy. Use code PFF fantasy for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, we're going to stay in Kansas City as we move to the wide receiver takeaways, and it only feels right that we start with this wide receiver core who just continue to be headline hogs between crucial drops, offensive offsides, and uh, us fantasy folks begging for more Rashi Rice playing time. Nate, Rice with a great day once again, 10 targets, 7 catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. Tell me the Chiefs are finally giving him the playing time that he deserves. He is finally seeing the playing time he deserves. We have seen his playing time pretty well increase. Most games there have been a week or two where he's uh, seen less time than the week before, but more often than not, he's increased his playing time. And this was a pretty substantial uh, increase this past week. Only 10 offensive snaps that he was not on the field for. So this is the first game where he has really seen the playing time similar to a lot of other starting wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, it just depends on the team. Some teams play their wide receivers over 90% of offensive snaps, but I don't know if Bryce will reach that point, but that's okay because there are plenty of wide receivers that play around 80% of offensive snaps each week. Um, often getting taken out on run plays. So I think Rice is finally seeing the playing time that we poke for, and he's been seeing the targets that we poke for the past couple weeks as well, pretty consistently seeing a lot of targets. So um, Bryce's fantasy value just keeps increasing each week, and it deserves to increase after this game. I think this could be pretty much the last time that we are talking about Rice in terms of player usage, since I think he should just stay at this 80% roughly percent of offensive snaps and see a lot of targets most games so um we don't talk a lot of a lot about star wide receivers in this top 10 recap because their usage just stays consistent they're just always playing and i think rice has finally reached that point 
Um, beyond that, we did see Kadarius Tony get a bit more involved than he's been in a lot of weeks recently. Played 29 offensive snaps. That's the second most for him since he joined Kansas City. Um, saw six opportunities, which is something that he was doing a lot early in the season, seeing even though he wasn't getting a ton of playing time, seeing a decent number of targets as well as a carrier too, and that continued in this game. Um, obviously, part of that play at the end of the game where I do agree that he was clearly offsides and the refs were right in calling that penalty, but I can also understand understand Kansas City's frustration after weeks of of penalties or not penalties that they wish would have gone differently that were a bit more questionable. But um, outside of that, I think Tony will continue to see playing time outside of being offsides on the play, even though uh, they have changed what they've done over time. So we'll see there. But that did leave Sky Moore seeing a massive decline in playing time, losing snaps to both Rice and Tony. Um, he was playing roughly two-thirds of the offensive snaps last week. That fell to roughly one-third of the snaps this week. So a pretty sizable decrease. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, also a decent-sized decrease. Justin Watson, just a slight decline. So we did see some pretty big differences in Kansas City's wide receiver room, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, considering the problems that they've had, if they continue to make changes just between wide receivers two and wide receiver six or seven. But I think at least we can be happy to say that Rice is at the top of the wide receiver room and we can be a bit more comfortable starting him and not having to worry about his playing time. Yes, uh, very happy to say that. And yeah, something we've been waiting for. They've given us a little bit more rushy rice each week here in the past few weeks. So um, yeah, that that target rate's been beautiful. And uh, you definitely love to see that usage. And you can feel comfortable about putting him in lineups. Um, okay, moving to the Ravens now. Baltimore has been without Mark Andrews now for two straight games. So they've needed another receiving option to step up, really. And it's looking like Odell Beckham could be that guy again, Nate. Uh, yeah, we did see Isaiah likely have a good game, so that also helped uh, step up for Mark Andrews, but Beckham's been a fairly interesting player for Baltimore basically all season. Uh, saw a ton of playing time week one when there were injuries at the position, but basically since that point, he's been rotating in and out a lot with Rashad Bateman. Um, at times, it was just a rotation by drive. At other points, it was by formation with Bateman playing more in the passing uh, situations Beckham playing more in the run blocking situations but Beckham's been playing very well these past couple weeks um looking familiar to what we saw early in his career but he um fell past uh, three of the past five games he's achieved at least 2.8 yards per route or he's achieved 2.8 yards per route run each of the past four weeks um has been playing really better these past five weeks and even in terms of pff receiving grade his two best games of the season where the previous two weeks um, grades have not been finalized for this week but it looks like he will have a third straight really good game a potentially above 80 receiving grade for the third straight game and that's very good and the big thing is he, we had seen his playing time decrease especially these past three weeks was playing well under 50 percent of offensive snaps but his playing time went back above 50 percent for the first time since week eight so even though he had been putting up some pretty big numbers in recent weeks just kind a couple passes but for really big gains i haven't been able to trust him for fantasy football purposes because of the fact that his playing time is so low but now that his playing time has been increasing and could continue to increase considering uh his good play has continued um 
I'd be more comfortable with him. Um, I know when I do the waiver articles, I'm mostly looking at uh, roster ship percentages from ESPN. So I did not include Beckham in my waiver article, but I know Anya who he is available in more than 50% of leagues. So it is at least worth checking to see if Beckham is available on the waiver wire, even though I didn't include him in the article, but at least worth checking. But I think he is someone that could be more involved in the offense going forward, especially with how well they're playing and they need to continue to play well because of how competitive the AFC is at the moment with the playoff race. Yeah. Like you said, the playing time it's going up. It's still not like ideal or anything, but the the target rate, the amount of um, times that Lamar is looking for him when he's on the field has been really, um, I think comforting for fantasy managers. Like he did just have the four catches in this one, 97 yards and a touchdown, but saw 10 targets as well. And has seen a really high target rate in each of the past uh, few weeks as well. So love to see that. We love to see Zay flowers still heavily involved as well. Um, And like you said, Isaiah likely doing a nice job uh, there as well. So, Let's talk about a piece of bad news here because we finally got Justin Jefferson back from injured reserve only for him to suffer another injury, get taken to the hospital, and now his status is going to be questionable once again. Heading into the fantasy playoffs, Nate, um, any takeaways from the Vikings wide receiver rotation with Jefferson out of the lineup again? Oh, yeah. When I started writing about this, when I went into the recap, I thought I'd be focusing mostly on Jefferson and what his playing time was like before the injury. But it ended up turning into more of a KJ Osborne situation that I ended up talking about. But uh, Jefferson was playing the clear majority of snaps before his injury. Uh, Nine of a possible 10 snaps on the first two drives. Uh, Only play that he was off the field was in 21 personnel uh, run play. So not too concerning about his playing time before the injury. And that's something that the Vikings uh, have done a bit of. Like TJ Hawkinson almost never plays in 21 personnel. And he's just fine as a fantasy tight end. So was perfectly happy with Jefferson's playing time before he left the game with an injury. Um, Something else that I was looking for is what they were going to do in two tight end sets or 21 personnel as well, because uh, when Jefferson was healthy to start the season, we were seeing KJ Osborne consistently playing ahead of Jordan Addison in 12 personnel and 21 personnel. I believe Addison had only played one snap in either of those personnel groupings before Justin Jefferson's injury, and that was to start a game. So I got really excited for that one play and then nothing changed after that one play, but um, after that, after Jefferson's injury, we mostly saw things go back to normal with Osborne and Addison as the top two wide receivers, Brandon Powell coming back in again for three wide receiver sets, but that didn't stay consistent throughout the game. We saw Jalen Naylor, who missed most of the season um, with injury, but has recently come back. Uh, Naylor started rotating in and out with Osborne over the course of the rest of the game. Um, This led Osborne to play his uh, fewest amount of snaps or percentage of snaps um, this entire season because of that rotation. So I would have thought Osborne potentially could have seen fewer snaps than usual because Jefferson was back, but it was really this rotation with Naylor that led Osborne to see a low percentage of snaps. So this is something that even if Jefferson doesn't come back, we could see this rotation continue. Uh, Jalen Naylor has played fairly well in small sample sizes in his career. Um, Obviously can't take too much away from the small sample sizes, but it's at least worth seeing uh, what he can do on a bigger sample size. And especially if Jefferson comes back, we could see Osborne largely phased out of this offense because he would only be playing an 11 personnel. And that could be something where he rotates with Brandon Powell as well. 
Uh, so it could be a three-man rotation for the third Vikings wide receiver spot. So um, Osborne, someone that most people haven't been relying on fantasy all season long, only had uh, the one game in week eight where he had 99 receiving yards, but every other game he's been under 50 yards. So probably already been dropped for most leagues, um, but he can probably be dropped from any league where he is still held on to. And I don't think his um, job is safe going into next year either. Yeah, so let's hope that Justin Jefferson gets healthy and back in the lineup. I know a lot of fantasy lineups are going to be relying on him here going forward if he's able to get out there. So um, hopefully nothing major there as far as injuries go because, yeah, that the Vikings offense, um, it was a struggle without him there. Um, I think he even led the team in receiving yards up until, like, the middle of the fourth quarter or late in the fourth quarter with just 27 yards. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a tougher one to watch, that's for sure. But... Um, all right, let's move to the tight ends. Uh, another player returning from injured reserve, uh, Dawson Knox of the Buffalo Bills, is back for the first time since uh, week seven. We've been using Dalton Kincaid quite a bit in recent weeks, Nate. Um, we, we've really liked his usage and involvement in the offense. So did Dawson Knox's return put a damper on that exciting Kincaid usage at all? It did not, which was actually a pleasant surprise considering how much the two were rotating early in the season. It was still Kincaid was the clear receiving tight end, but still off the field a lot when Knox was healthy. And Kincaid's breakout really coincided with Knox ending up on injured reserve. So luckily Kincaid played 77% of the offensive snaps. It was 60 total offensive snaps. So that raw total actually was a season high for him in terms of offensive snaps and even the percentage was higher than it had been in two of the recent games uh the big difference this week is they were using a lot more 12 personnel so if anything this impacted khalil shakir more than it impacted dalton kincaid i'd meant shakir wasn't on the field as much since he's been playing almost exclusively in 11 personnel so fewer snaps in 11 personnel means shakir is on the field less often um, Kincaid was targeted plenty in this game. It only led to five receptions, and he only gained 21 yards on those five receptions. So this wasn't the best receiving day for Kincaid, but his targets were still high, and I'm not super concerned about that. Knox was targeted three times for 36 yards, so Knox, even in his limited snaps, ended up with more receiving production. But I think Kincaid can still safely be left in fantasy starting lineups going forward. Maybe a slightly, um, his ceiling might not be quite as high because Knox could get involved, particularly in the red zone, which is concerning. And then also worth noting, Kincaid uh, was taken in for x-rays on his shoulder. It sounded like everything was fine after the game, but at least worth keeping an eye up. He shows up on the injury report this week, but ideally everything will be fine. So based on everything I saw in this gate, game i think Kincaid can still be a fantasy starting tight end the rest of the season yeah i'm with you like you said eight targets in that game he had the five catches not not a ton of yards obviously but we kind of talked about it in the preview show as well dawson knox returning and, and just kind of feeling like you know the cat's out of the bag with dalton Kincaid at this point they've seen how effective he can be in this offense and how much of a weapon he could be and um more so as a receiving threat than, than dawson knox so nice to see that it didn't change too much um here in week 14 and hopefully stays uh that way in favor of Kincaid going forward um, okay, last one for the week. It is Kyle Pitts of the Atlanta Falcons, who finds the end zone for the second time this season, um, tying a season best touchdown total with two now. Um, now, 
could maybe be giving fantasy managers reason for optimism here heading into the the final stretch of games, Nate? would say a slight amount of optimism. I think one of the biggest things for me is uh, Parker Hesse, who's been a run-blocking tight end who saw significant playing time last year and had gotten more involved in recent weeks this year. He's been someone who's on the practice squad. They've called him up from the practice squad for those two strike games. They did not call him up from the practice squad for this game. So they stuck with only having three tight ends, which ended up being pretty huge for both Pitts and Johnny Smith. Um, for whatever reason, Pitts all season long, he hasn't played much in 11 personnel, but they didn't end up using a lot of 11 personnel in this one. It was 11 personnel. For most teams, it's by far their most frequent personnel grouping. Uh, in this game, it was the Falcons' fifth most frequent personnel grouping with things like 12 and 21 and 22, and I'm not even thinking of what the other one was off the top of my head maybe 13 personnel so a lot of other personnel groupings for atlanta so this meant pitts was on the field a bit um their most frequent personnel grouping was 12 personnel and this was often pitts and smith on the field um a big thing here is the falcons were playing from behind in this game that's had a pretty big impact on what the falcons offensive strategy is in general um, if you look at all of the games this season, Pitts has played two-thirds of the snaps whenever they are behind and just under half of the snaps when they are playing with the lead. So um, I think Pitts really needs the Falcons to be in competitive games or in games where the Falcons are expected to be losing for him to have better fantasy value. So I think the schedule in general has really hurt Pitts so far this season. The Falcons uh, came into the season with one of the easiest schedules, and that has proven to be true throughout the season. They've continued to play teams that are at 500 or worse, and that'll continue next week. They're playing the 1-12 Carolina Panthers, so at least this upcoming week, I'm probably not trusting Pitts as much, but I think there is a chance that Pitts could do better in the other games that should be a bit more competitive, and I think uh, going into next year will be a big thing of how much people will end up trusting Pitts. But I think the Falcons probably luck will have it that their schedule won't be nearly as easy next season. So we could be seeing a lot more Kyle Pitts in, tw in 2024. We could only hope so, Nate. We could only hope. And yeah, hopefully, I mean, the Bijan Robinson usage has been better recently. Hopefully the Kyle Pitts usage gets better as well. And, and then we can, you know, start to feel a little bit better about Arthur Smith um, and, and his uh, shenanigans there as the head coach of the Falcons. But um, I think that's pretty much going to do it for this week. Uh, so Nate, thank you very much uh, for uh, putting together the, the, the takeaways this week. Um, again, for, for people that were hoping something else be covered that we didn't cover today, I'm sure you could find it on Nate's recaps. Um, he does every single game up on pff.com. So you should be able to find anything that uh, we didn't cover today in those on the website for free. Um, Nate, other than that, what else do you have up on uh, pff.com this week? Yeah, like you said, the recaps are up, and there were a bit of other running back situations that we didn't cover today, only stuck with the top 10. Uh, Houston, Carolina instantly come to mind. I believe there were one or two others that I was seriously considering for this article. So lots of good nuggets in the big recap article that we did not cover today. Um, have the waiver wire article up today that we will be covering tomorrow. Definitely a lot of focus on specific matchups because we're in the fantasy playoffs, but a lot of interesting running back situations. Uh, like you mentioned at the top of the show, there were a couple of injuries that we did not cover in this top 10 recap that we will be covering tomorrow. And hopefully we'll have some news by then of the extent of some of these running back injuries. But 
Uh, we haven't always been that lucky to have that by Tuesday morning, but we'll find out. Um, outside of that, uh, we'll have the Monday night recap up tonight. We'll definitely be a weird one having two games going on simultaneously. Um, usually if there's only two or three games, they're kind of staggered a little bit. So it'll be a fun experience trying to write the two recaps at the exact same time. But we'll see. It should hopefully both of them be up immediately after the games. Maybe we'll get lucky and one of them will go into overtime for me or something like that. But um, after that, we'll have uh, rankings for the upcoming week. They'll be on the website on Tuesday article form on Wednesday, and then the start set will be up on Thursday. Awesome. There you go. Um, thank you all again for tuning in. Uh, please don't forget to like and subscribe to the PFF Fantasy YouTube channel. Um, and a huge thank you again to the PFF Data Collection team. We know they are the best data team in the multiverse, knocking out another busy week in the world of football. Um, Nate and I will be back tomorrow talking the top waiver wire targets. And uh, yeah, other than that, good luck with your Monday night football matchups tonight. And until next time, peace out.